Welcome to Branding Your Real Estate. This is your host, Corinne King, and thank you so much for tuning in, joining today's podcast, and being a part of the Branding Your Real Estate movement and community. Branding Your Real Estate was brought to you by a real estate agent created for real estate agents to give you inspiration, motivation, and ideas to help you improve your business, your brand, and most importantly, you as a real estate professional. So usually here in this podcast, I'm talking about like business ideas on how you can improve on how you run your business or marketing and branding, of course, branding your real estate. And my favorite topic is anything that has to do with mindset or mindfulness, uh, because I feel like working on you is such an important part to take you to the next level in your real estate business. But today's topic is a, a little off of my brand, I'll say. If you've been listening to my previous podcast, you'll here that I have invested in some properties. So not only am I a real estate professional, I can now say I am a real estate investor on a very, very tiny, small scale of that. And even though I am no expert whatsoever when it comes to this, so I suggest doing a little bit more research than just this podcast if you are considering um, investing in short-term rentals, which I will be touching on today. Um, But here's my experience of what We have gone through getting, well, acquiring vacation rental properties and then getting them ready to go and then setting them up on Airbnb and VRBO. I've learned a lot and I know that I still have so much more to learn, but hopefully this will at least get you started and give you an idea of what to expect, what you should do, shouldn't do, a lot of things. We did so much research and I felt like I still learned from doing and making a lot of mistakes. So here you go. This is what we've been doing and hopefully this helps you and inspires you to invest in your future. So I want to start it with this. I I ended the first segment of this podcast saying investing in your future. That's what this is about. You know, we don't work for companies or get a 401k. Um, are really a lot of us don't focus on our savings until we're a couple years down the road and we're like, "Oh my god, I haven't been putting money away." to start also generating more money or really looking at the big picture. So that is awesome if you are making money in real estate, but what are you doing with that money for your future? And that is kind of where we got started is that we started thinking about our future and wanting to build our wealth. And this was one way into it. And what I love about it for me is that it works hand in hand with real estate. So it's not like I was working on something else that was taking my attention away from real estate, it only made me a stronger real estate agent and professional because it made me really understand a buyer's perspective. Um, Going through the closing process a couple times rather than just one time when I purchased my primary home, it really made me understand so much more. Like really my knowledge has expanded way more than I ever thought it would because of my husband and I going through the process of purchasing two properties. So that was one part of it. And then also multiple streams of income. You will find, I mean, if you've only just been in the industry for a little bit, um, it's been amazing, but it's not always like that. And I want to avoid going into that scarcity mindset of where you feel like you have to take, or I'm talking to myself, where I feel like I have to take every listing and buyer and people that I just don't want to work with, I don't want to be desperate like that. I don't want to have to take everything. I just want to have a focus. But if I put all of my eggs in one basket so that real estate 
basket of being a real estate agent basket, then I have to kind of go into that desperate scarcity mindset. But when I have multiple streams of income, then I can lean into other ones for part of my income as well. So I do like that. I think staying, making like real estate, being a real estate agent and real estate professional, I you've heard me say this before, I don't really love the idea of being part-time uh, because it's a lot of people think it's that easy. It's not. We are managing people's livelihoods and money, so I really think it's important that you are 100% focused on real estate, and then you have your side hustles. A lot of people do it the other way around, is that they have a full-time job, and then real estate is their side hustle. Uh, but I, it, it is. It's so important that you're in real estate full-time. So I just want to make that clear, that you should be in real estate full-time, but this will kind of uh, help you financially. Um in so many other ways, and you're investing in your future. Not just your future. If you have children, you're investing in their future as well when you are investing in real estate. So I wanted to start with that little plug first, and then we're going to get into everything else, how we came about these properties, what it took for us to redo it, the mistakes that we made, and where we thought we did a pretty good job. Honestly, I'm not really sure how to go about or start this podcast, so I'm just going to try and pull out the highlights and and the nuggets and anything that I think will be helpful to you, whether you are considering investing or if it's something that you want to do um, or just anything that I think is going to be helpful to you. So we are going to start with actually acquiring a property. So let me go back a little bit and tell you about our properties. We just have two, but we have actually put in offers, a lot of offers over the past probably four years. And we weren't as aggressive as at first, and I kind of wish that we were. I feel like we kind of missed the mark on that, but I was nervous. Um, I am, I like to call myself the risk manager. My husband might call that the negative Nelly, uh, where I found everything wrong with every property. And my default was always, well, what if this happened in a negative way? Like, what if we lost our money? What if the house burned down? What if a hurricane came? What if we don't make the money? Can we afford the payments? Um after putting all this money down. So I always was the what if bad scenario. And I remember my husband said to me, and this is like kind of where that mindset shift happened. He said, but what if we blow it out of the park? What if this house brings in $10,000 a month? That could change our lives. So I want to throw that in there because I needed to hear that because I always am looking to the safe side. I'm always looking for the what if bad scenario. And because I've done that my entire life, I've always scared myself out of taking risks. And that is what this is. It's a risk that could have a huge reward. Um, but also there's a lot of bad things that could happen. Um, that's, that's my negative Nelly side talking. So anyways, after many years of kind of putting in offers and we put a couple things in our contract, we got out of them during the inspection period and doing our due diligence. And finally, now we have two properties. We had a goal last year to close on a property. That's when we closed on the farm in 2021. And then in 2022, we have closed on our second property. And that I like to call maybe our beach house. It's not right on the beach, but it's like steps from it. Um, It's our coastal cottage in Pine Island, Florida, which is North Florida near like Wikiwachi and Crystal River in that area. So anyways, those are our two properties. And what we did on this last trip, we flew to Florida with our two kids, flew to Miami, drove up 
to our house in Pine Island and we spent the night there, evaluated everything that we needed to do, went shopping, redid it, repainted it, cleaned it up, did new photographs, updated our Airbnb and VRBO. It was a lot. It was exhausting. And (laughs) we found, uh, we spent a lot of time shopping. So anyways, we're going to get into all that. And then the second one, actually, it was our first one, um, that we went to later on our trip. So after a week of redoing our place in Florida, we decided, hey, we're going to hop in a car, drive to Virginia. That's 15 hours with two kids. That's a two and a half year old and like a five month old. And then go work on our farmhouse, which I'm in love with our farmhouse, but it's also burning a hole in our pocket right now. Um, So those holding costs at the farmhouse are really, really killing us, and I want to touch on that as well. So we went there to do some work on the farmhouse, and we just didn't finish it, and I think we lost steam. So anyways, we're getting into all of that, and let me go back to where I was going with this, is acquiring properties. So we acquired those two properties. So my husband has been investigating and researching for years, not months, but years. Like literally, he... (laughs) And I was getting annoyed with it, but he spends every waking moment either listening to Bigger Pockets, uh, learning about rentals, whether it's vacation rentals or long term rentals or any other types of investments, whether it's uh, trailer parks or um, storage unit complexes. So he's been doing tons and tons of research on um, all of these types of investments. And Some of the things that he would look for is, you know, is there an Amazon center going up or a Walmart that's good for long-term rentals? And then um, vacation rental properties, he kind of looks at the areas of the path of progress is what he calls it. So I'm just going off of a couple things that I've heard him talk about. Maybe one day I'll try and get him on a podcast. Shoot me a private message on Instagram if you want me to interview my husband on a podcast all about this topic about searching for a property. Uh, Best on Instagram though, that's branding you underscore real estate. Anyway, so those are a couple of things that he looks for when it comes to vacation rental properties. All right, let's talk about that. I mean, I don't know if we are successful on this yet because literally we just closed on a property and redid it in Pine Island and we haven't seen a full year yet. And then our other house is just sitting there burning a hole in our pocket. So maybe we aren't the best to talk about this, but hey, hopefully you'll learn from that. So um, what you look for in a vacation rental property is, uh, one, is it somewhere you want to go? Because you'll be able to market it and talk about it better and be a little bit more excited about it and know what type of amenities and features you should add into a home. So that's one huge thing. And then look at accessibility. So how easy is it to drive to from big cities and is it desirable from those big cities? And then also near airports and look for other attractions. And then something else that we lucked out on is look to see what types of seasons and festivals and things that are going on in the area that will drive more traffic to that area. And did I mention this path of progress? I think I did. So usually you look at like a hub. So for example, DC area, um, it keeps expanding and expanding and the housing communities around there keep expanding more and more because there are just so many people that live there that commute to work or maybe do like partial commute. Um, 
So that's how we ended up with the farm is that it's a perfect two hour destination from these big cities where people can kind of get away from that hustle and bustle. That's how we chose that one. Same with Pine Island. Pine Island is an hour from Tampa and I think an hour or so from Orlando and Disney World. So we get a lot of traffic from there. Um, also our Pine Island, we have scallop season, which is filling a season that's usually extremely slow for vacation rentals. It is a year-round destination. That's something else that we were looking at. There are some great cabins and stuff, but they are only good during certain months where there are some other destinations that we've looked at that have amenities and offer year-round rentals. So like a ski resort area that's also great for hiking. So now you have your winter months and your summer months. So I'm hoping that this gives you some tools to work with when you're looking at purchasing properties and vacation rental properties. So there's so much more to investigating locations, but that was just kind of an overview of what we did and what got us started. Now, once we started narrow, narrowing in on some places, we took it a little bit further. So before we actually put ink to paper or put down a deposit, we wanted to do a bit more investigating. And there are a couple things that we did. Um, and this is uh, something that you can do beforehand as well. Um, you can check out Airbnb and VRBO and check out the competition there. That's one step. And you can maybe do that in the preliminary um, part of this process. And then we spent a little bit of money, but I'm telling you this money probably saved us from making a very bad investment decision. So we purchased AirDNA. Now there are a lot of different uh, softwares like this. So AirDNA pulls data from Airbnb and VRBO and it lets you know kind of the health of that rental market um, along with like average daily rates and then also the occupancy rates for that area. And you can go in and look at the different properties and compare to the one that maybe you're looking at. So we actually were looking at Sugar Beach Mountain. I think that's North Carolina. It's a ski resort destination. And before purchasing AirDNA, we found a property. We, you know, it's somewhere we would want to go. It was a driving distance to from a lot of cities and it had an attraction to it. So we're like, this has got to do really, really well. You know, there's people coming here all the time to go skiing. So we really thought this was going to be a great investment. So we took it a little bit further and we purchased AirDNA for that area. And here's a little side note with that. So AirDNA is like a, almost like a subscription and you can only purchase it per location. So we purchased it and then we quickly canceled it after we did our investigation. I think that was like 40 bucks. Uh, they obviously probably don't want you to do that, but when you are researching different areas, this is what we ended up doing. So just a little side note there. If you purchase it, cancel it after you do your research. If not, they'll keep charging you. So anyways, we purchased it for $40 and we looked at it and the occupancy rate was so low and the average uh, daily rate was so low as well. And we looked at properties that were a perfect comp to the one that we were purchasing and the money didn't make sense. So that $40 saved our butt because there is no way we would have made enough money to even cover our expenses and mortgage and all of that. We wouldn't even even covered that, we probably would have been putting out more money. So we saved our butt on that. So that was like one of the best things that we did. So we decided going forward, this is going to be a part of our process. So then let's go back to the one that we did purchase, Pine Island. Um, it's a place that we want to go. It's driving distance from 
big towns and big cities like Orlando and Tampa and um so and from both of those airports as well and Disney World is right there. The local area has its own attractions, so it has like Wikiwachi Springs and then there's a water park and um there are some other things that are going on there. Oh, and there's scallop season, which was a huge deal because that's between July and September where it's usually dead everywhere else. We had a time to fill that gap. That really is a year-round destination and I'm super excited about it. So anyways, we're like, all right, we found a, a place located there and we purchased air DNA for Pine Island, the little area that we were in, um, investigating and which led to our, our latest purchase. And you know what? It scored extremely high on air DNA. It had an average, uh, daily rate of what worked for us and what worked for our numbers and the occupancy rates were high. So we were like, let's keep investigating this and moving forward. So here's the next step you need to do. And I suggest doing this during your inspection period. And you know this, you're a real estate agent. I find when I have buyers who ask a ton of questions at the beginning, they come off to the seller as unstable and that they're going to be really hard to work with. So what we did, we put the house under contract and then immediately, of course, there was an inspection period for us to inspect more than just the physical part of the property, but also the numbers. So we requested financials. So that's the P&Ls. So we wanted to see what was he bringing in for the year. So we asked for the past two years, which I would have liked to go back further, but that was all that he had because those COVID years are a little uh, inflated there. So we also took for the account for that and then understanding all of the expenses from um, you know, internet to trash pickup to lawn to cleaning to filling up the supplies, really understanding and building a budget and then and then looking at all that and going, all right, now that we have our net income, is this going to work? Is this going to cover our mortgage, our insurance, our expenses, and all of that? And then we knew that we felt really comfortable moving forward. Like I feel like now we have a pretty good system um, that really makes sure that we select the right property. Now, I don't really have anything to back this up because again, we haven't been through a full year, but I feel very, very confident with it. So again, those two big things, purchasing air DNA, and then secondly, asking for P&Ls and really reviewing those and also filling the holes a little bit. And here's another thing that we didn't do, but I think I want to do for the future because I read this on a forum somewhere to where someone created... Um, their budget or their P&L that they shared with buyers and it didn't show the full truth of what those expenses were and what they were actually bringing in. Anyone can create anything. The only way to verify that is to look at their tax return. So also I would suggest requesting the seller's tax return so you can verify how much they claimed, how much they netted from those years to confirm that they are telling the truth. So like 95% of the strategy to make sure that you're successful is doing the research on the front end and making sure that you are investing in a location and place that will give you the highest return. So that's where we started. And now I was trying to think, I'm like, how am I going to break this down? 
Um, so it's not too all over the place. So I'm going to break it down per property of ours because I learned a lot from both and they're both so drastically different. So I kind of talked on and touched on how we came about these two properties. But what I really want to touch on now and my goal for this podcast was to tell you about the experience that we went through. So we live far away from both of these properties that we have to actually fly to them and depend on others to help us get them up and running. So that right there is a lot of stress. That is a lot of money um, just being so far away because you have to outsource everything. Like even changing a light bulb, we paid someone $150. Yeah. So <laughs> that's probably my my first little tidbit is that it's going to cost more for you and hit your bottom line when you don't live there. You have to depend on others and have those relationships and funds to actually pay them to go change that darn light bulb. That's just a small example. So anyways, let's start with the Pine Island property. So the Pine Island property, that's the first one we went to. That one was actually already producing up and running. It was on VRBO. We bought that site unseen. This was our first time seeing it. And the photos were terrible. The furnishings were terrible. The write-up was actually kind of good. Um, but it just didn't show up well. And, you know, the the seller at the time, he was vacation renting just to help pay the bills. You know, he bought the place for him and his family and was like, yeah, I'll vacation rent, but wasn't taking it as seriously and strategizing um, or really doing anything to improve the marketability of his property. So we actually had a lot of room for improvement, which which I like to see that. The numbers were working without a good listing, without good furnishing. So imagine what we can do now if we just up-level the marketing. So that's what we did. We flew to Miami. We drove across the state and up north um, about five hours. And we got there. We evaluated what needed to be done. We kind of like lived in the space for a good like five hours. Um, and then we made a list of everything we needed and, and hit the, hit the, uh, stores in the local area. So I will tell you, we didn't, we anticipated this, but not really. We didn't calculate it into our budget per se. We're both very lucky that we are in positions to where we're making really good money, especially from the last year of real estate. Um, I have a lot of cash in my account, So we didn't have to really go budget shopping, which that would have taken a lot more time and we had limited amount of time. So my lesson here is give yourself way more time than you actually think. So we gave ourselves a week at each property and you probably need more. And because we were limited on time, like if you live in an area, so here's the difference between if you live somewhere and you purchased a rental property, then you can take the time to kind of budget hunt for furniture and pieces and, and, you know, do Facebook marketplace and go to garage sales and maybe redo some furniture that's there. You would have time for that. We did not. So it cost us a lot more because we grabbed whatever we could. And, you know, we went to Ikea and, oh my God, that couch was really expensive, but it really made the room and we splurged on it rather than we didn't have time to wait. And there were a couple of pieces of furniture I wanted to redo. Like I was just like, let's just paint the bunk beds. Um, But honestly, we didn't have time for that. We were literally hanging pictures and mirrors up to the bitter end of this before we left the house to go to our next property. So yes, if you aren't there, 
and you only have limited of time to redo a place, you're going to be spending a lot more money. We spent, so we have a two bedroom, very, very small. It's like 900 square feet. Um, and we did a full overhaul. We pretty much got rid of all the furniture. We did end up keeping like one uh, cabinet that was cute. One, we got rid of two couches, coffee table, dining room table, bunk beds. Um, but really, we refurnished everything else. And something that actually saved us is that we could not find a king size like bed that we wanted. And we wanted to get new mattresses and we hate box springs, but you know what? The room, this saved us so much money actually, probably a couple of thousand dollars by not buying um, a new bed uh, for all rooms pretty much. Uh, We were going to buy another single bed for the guest bedroom, but we just ended up spray painting the little metal bed that was there white and then dressing everything up with... Uh, a beautiful comforter set and throw pillows and hung some new pictures up and it transformed the room. Side tables, lights, but we didn't have to get a new bed. We stuck with the old frame, which I hate, but we were running out of time and couldn't find what we wanted. And so we just dressed it all up with, again, a really beautiful comforter, throw pillows and some pictures on the wall and some new lighting. And that room transformed and that was probably... $700. I'm even pushing it for all of that to transform one little room and paint. So we painted the entire place as well. And I actually picked the wrong paint because we were rushing. Um, So I was really disappointed at first, but now I'm happy with the paint selection. After we put up everything, it made a big difference. So I don't know if I really gave you any concrete um, advice here, but if you don't live there and you don't give yourself time, you're going to spend more money. Also, and I'm kind of backtracking here, the lesson that I learned is really, really try and work with what you have. I really wanted a platform bed. We couldn't find what we wanted. We saved so much money there. Um, Just kind of refurbishing what was there. Like what can you save and what's just not worth it? And keep in mind, time is money. So If you're like us, limited of time, we had to spend the money. But if you have the time and not the money, really try and repurpose what you can. And I want you to anticipate spending a lot of time shopping. Like that's actually where we spent so much time. We were exhausted from shopping and then we'd come back and clean up and then go, oh my God, we forgot this, this, and this. And then we would go back out and purchase more. Uh, So... That is not what I anticipated. I literally thought I was going to walk into one store and just throw everything in a cart and be ready to go. Um, But really, that was not the case. We were at the store every day going back multiple times, and we actually had to drive an hour away to go get our couch from Ikea because we checked all the furniture stores in our little area, and we just couldn't get what we wanted. So anticipate spending a lot of time shopping. Um, that was not what I was expecting. I literally thought like we would paint one day, go shopping the next day and then stage the next day. And it took us the entire week. So something else that you definitely need to do is go live a little in the area. So you can get those lifestyle photos, like take so many photos for the area. So whether it's going to be on your Airbnb, VRBO listing or direct booking website, 
you have a lot of content to work with, especially if you're like me and you don't live there. So we, I don't think we actually got enough lifestyle pictures. We spent so much time trying to redo our place that we didn't get out to take more photos. And that's something I kind of regret. And just knowing about the area. So when people ask you questions, you can answer them. Like telling them where they can go get something to eat or go get a drink or go shopping. Um, all of that is really, really important. And another thing, um, Facebook marketplaces, I am sure you do this in your own area. That saved me for so many things. We need a junk removal. So I just put a post up on like a local Facebook group like, hey, I have some junk I need removed. Found a great guy. Hey, we need someone to, we need a plumber to come fix this pipe really quick. Got a great group of plumbers. I reached out to a couple. One came out right away um, and really just lived in the home a little bit more. We had some friends over. So it helped us understand how our guests would live in the home. Um, and then so we we decorated and arranged everything based on how we felt like we could optimize the space and attract more guests to our location. And then also so they can enjoy their time because when they enjoy their time, they want to come back and they tell other people about it. So let's move on to the farm. So the farm is not an active Airbnb or VRBO. We've actually been holding it for over a year. So our holding costs are well over $20,000. Ouch. I know that really, really hurts. So it's probably not the best investment right now. We both see this location being a great investment for the future, like way in the future. And one of our goals, our life goals was to own property, like a lot of property and a lot of acreage. This is 169 acres. It was important to us to have this for our family. So we have something to hand down and to create some sort of legacy. And then also we just love nature and we think that that's an important part of our lifestyle. So even though we have this holding cost, it's not the best investment at the moment. It fulfills our future goals. So it was like, do we buy this land five, 10 years from now where it's worth double or triple the amount? So we picked this location because it's in the path of progress. I talked about that before. And we really do think that in the future, this land is going to be worth so much more. When we purchased the property, they did a terrible job marketing it. The photos weren't great and the land is so much better when you get there. So even if we did want to turn around and sell it, I think we could get way more just by improving the marketing. So let me tell you a bit about the property. Our goal again was just to have land. But it was a bonus if we could have land that has a structure on it so we could rent it out to help pay the bills. Lucky for us, we found that, but it was an old 1920s home that, even though it was nice, there were long-term renters living in there, um, it really needed to be spruced up and uh, furnished to be vacation rented. And also, we really needed to put on new siding and paint. And so it sounded so small at the beginning, but it just kept adding on to each other um, and on to itself and becoming this big beast that is very overwhelming, but we are almost there. So we've had a lot of help from family and friends and uh, meeting some people who have helped us furnish the place as well. A girl that redoes furniture, I connected with her and she's been a godsend. Um, she really has made the space really, really special with some custom pieces. Um, so with this property, it's it's a personal project of ours. 
So it's, again, not the best investment at this moment. We're not really sure how it's going to do. Orange, Virginia is not where someone just searches. Um, There's a new search uh, feature, an Airbnb, where people can search like a certain distance from where they are. And this is actually going to help us a lot. A lot of people are complaining about that. But for us in this destination that usually isn't found on the map where people are searching for Airbnb, we are grateful for it. So anyways, our holding costs are high. I don't suggest that if it's purely investment um, and if you can't rent it right away. So if it's not ready to go right away, anticipate and calculate and budget for those holding costs. So like our Pine Island was producing money right away. This one has literally cost us just from sitting there around twenty to $30,000 just sitting there. And then we had to do a lot of work on it to get it up and going. And that's probably another, a lot of money, I'll say. We put on new siding, uh, painted the interior, new kitchen, and refurnished. We're still in the process of refurnishing and finishing it up. So the holding cost is, is killing us. So be careful with that. If you see that a place isn't furnished. So here, let, let's pull some lessons from this. If you're looking at two properties, right? And one is more, say they're identical properties pretty much, but one is coming completely furnished and one is not. You want to calculate what that furnished furniture would cost if you needed to furnish another property. I mean, this includes dishes and towels and blenders and couches and TVs and all of that. So if you're comparing two places and one is furnished and one is not, you want to calculate that. And then if one, you know, like I said, is ready to go and the other isn't, how many weeks are you going to lose? So if it's an entire month, which might be the case for you to get out there, get a couple things fixed, go pick up all the furniture, you're looking at, you know, it could be $10,000 that you're losing in that month. So you want to calculate and consider that. A lot of times you might just be looking at the price like, well, this one's $20,000 more um, than this one, but this one you need to furnish it, which say it's a four bedroom house that could cost you $30,000. And then it might take you a month to finish everything that right there, you're losing 10,000. So you really want to consider that that's the big picture. And I don't think a lot of people calculate in that holding cost and really understanding what the furniture cost when you are doing a place from scratch. And it's a lot more than I anticipated. So I think this is a good segue of like things to anticipate when you are furnishing a place from the ground up for a vacation rental. So you are fully prepared for it. And budget-wise, we'll talk about that as well. I actually think I did a pretty good job throughout the podcast talking about what it took to furnish these two properties and the budget and the cost and you know things that you should anticipate. But let's just take it home here, pull it all together, and I may add in another couple tidbits to think about when you are furnishing a home for vacation renting. So smaller was way easier. I mean, obviously, furnishing a two-bedroom house is way easier than furnishing a four-bedroom house with like massive rooms. So our little cottage on Pine Island is a little over 900 square feet, two small bedrooms, two bathrooms, um, a little bit of outdoor space and uh, off of the living room, small living room, 
small kitchen dining area, not even a separate dining area. So it was fairly easy. I would say budget for something like that around $5,000. Did we budget? No. Am I just pulling this out of my ass? Yes. But I really do think that $5,000 is a good budget for a small two-bedroom. And if you can reuse some of the furniture that's there, that even helps. We went over budget. (laughs) Because I don't know why, like like I said before, we didn't have the time to do any budget shopping. We only had time to get in and get out and get it done and get the photographs. So it was either time or money and we had to go with spending money over saving time. So that's where we were at. But I think 5,000 is a good budget to aim for. We probably did somewhere around 7,000 and that's not calculating in Uh, our rental car and our flights and all of that. So I didn't include that in there, but if you are on a strict budget, you should calculate that into your budget for getting everything done. We also use this as sort of a vacation, so we didn't calculate that in. Um, So things that you need to think about. Yes, the fun, sexy things is what I call it, um, which I hate that word, but I feel like that's a good description. The sexy things of things is like decorating the rooms. That's fun. Pinterest and coming up with the ideas. And that to me is so much fun. And again, the sexy part. I hate that word that I've now said it like four times. Uh, So the things that you need to think about that don't, that aren't as fun, um, that start creeping up on you when you're like, oh my God, we need, here we go. Are you ready for it? A whole bunch of sponges. So I think reusing sponges for the same for a different guest is disgusting. So I wanted to make sure we had enough sponges for our cleaning crew to replace a sponge every time a new guest checks in. Uh, paper towels. So you need a ton of paper towels. Toilet paper. Yay, all that's fun. Pillows. Pillows. Pillows are really expensive. We went to... I think Walmart got some and they actually were really nice. Uh, My other property we ordered from Amazon and they were terrible, terrible. Um, But yeah, Walmart had some really nice ones. We went with the nicer ones um, just because we think it's important people are comfortable. And linens, so linens, so many linens. So I decided to do three sets per bed. This helps with the turnover. This helps your cleaning crew. So if they can't get it turned over in time, they can take the sheets back with them. And you also want to make sure that your guests have an extra set of sheets. So say, for example, your cleaning crew takes the dirty sheets with them and they make the bed with a clean set of sheets, but then you also need another set of sheets just in case your guests want to change out the sheets. Maybe your guest is staying for two weeks and they like to change their sheets once a week. I don't know. Everyone is different. Some people are very particular. I've had guests even purchase their own sheets because they didn't want to sleep on um, the sheets that were there. That is perfectly fine. We now have a new set of sheets that are really nice actually. So yeah, anticipate that. So that's another cost. So like I was saying with a two bedroom, now I just needed three sets of sheets per bed. Now our guest bedroom actually has three beds, a bunk bed and then uh, a twin bed. So now that is three, six, nine sets of sheets. I was like, oh my God, nine sets of sheets. That right there was really expensive. A couple hundred dollars. I don't know. And again, you don't see it. It's not sexy. It's just 
You gotta have it. Um, Towels. So something else that we did, the towels that are left out for the guests when they check in, we splurged on those. Those are like our luxury towels. You definitely want really nice soft towels. But the ones like the extras, we stored those away and those aren't the super nice fluffy luxury ones. Like literally in Walmart, it said luxury towels or something like that. But yeah, that was a little bit more expensive. We had to think about that. Um, Cleaning supplies. That's not fun. Brooms, vacuums. So guests, they actually like to clean up after themselves. After they cook, they actually want to wipe down the countertops. Or at our beach cottage, it gets very sandy. So they want to clean all of that up. That is not something I thought about until a little bit later when someone brought that up to me. Like, yeah, you need to have a broom and you need to have a vacuum and you need to have sponges and spray and all of that. And I actually had a guest reach out to me and ask what cleaning supplies we had there because she likes a really, really clean place and likes to clean as she goes, which you know what? I'm not mad about that. If they want to clean my house, awesome. I'll take it. But that is a cost right there to make sure you're stocked up with cleaning supplies and uh, utensils and all of that. Oh, and speaking of utensils, kitchen. Um, Our kitchen came fully stocked but it was so much random stuff. It again, looked like it was just pulled from a thrift store. So you have to think about stocking your entire kitchen and not just, you know, cups, plates, bowls, flatware, cookware. And you want, we had to dispose of some stuff that just seemed dirty and dingy and replace that as well, which you'll probably have to do every year just because people are hard on cookware. And you have to think about coffee pots, definitely coffee pots. And not just the coffee pots, have some filters there. And you know what? Have some coffee there. Even if just like starter coffee, I was talking to someone and they had pods, um, like a Keurig pods kind of thing. And sometimes people arrive really, really late that they are either too tired or it's too dark out for them to go do their shopping. But I know for me, I stayed at a hotel once that didn't have coffee until 7 a.m. Do you know how pissed I was? All I wanted to do was sit on my porch and drink some coffee. So have some coffee for them and everything they need to make it. So buy a whole bunch of filters. Those are super cheap, but I promise you that goes a long way. If someone wakes up and can't make their coffee, they're immediately going to be pissed about their trip. So that is just another cost to think about. Um, And something I'm going to do for the future, which I didn't think about until after I ordered everything, this is for the farmhouse, Um, plates, cups, all of that can break. There's actually really nice uh, plateware and cupware out there that doesn't break. Someone was telling me about it. So I think I'm going to just order a whole bunch of that. It's actually more expensive, but in my opinion, I think it's going to save you in the long run. So your front cost is going to be more expensive, but you're going to have less breakage and you're not going to have to spend money on replacing plates and cups. So let's go back to the two bedroom way easier. So you just have to really think about like how many people can you sleep in there? Five. So maybe you want five to 10 plates at the farmhouse. Oh, you could sleep, you know, eight to 10. So unfortunately, the uh, sets that I could find were an eight or four. So I just ended up having to buy, I just bought two orders of eight, which is a lot. That was 16 plates, 16 bowls, 16 cups. And I also was thinking, I don't want to have to worry about replacing anything in the near future. And 
the farmhouse is all about encouraging people to eat around a big table. So I want to make sure that it's a fully stocked kitchen for anyone who likes to cook because that's what we are pushing is staying on the farm, cooking there, having big family and friend meals. So, you know, you have to just think about the whole picture. Anyways, I'm digressing. I'm hoping that this gives you enough to think about, um, especially the things that I didn't think about until I got there, like the sheets, like the towels. Oh, washcloths. I don't have enough of those, so I had to order some. Um, paper towels, toilet paper. Let's talk toilet paper really quick. In my opinion, I wanted to replace the toilet paper roll fresh every time. But just looking at budget, we want to be conscious of every little penny that we're spending Um, what I told my cleaning lady is that I want a new roll every time. And if the roll is only halfway used, I just want her to store that away, um, in like the drawers or storage next to the toilet. So if they do need to replace it, uh, they'll just replace it with the half roll. Just, you know, every little penny counts when it comes to this, because our margins are actually pretty small. So, the more you can save, the more you can make. And I think that's all. This one went way longer. Oh my God. I'm at 10 minutes on the last segment. I'm so sorry to keep you here, but let me let you go. If you have any questions about vacation renting, again, I'm not an expert, but just learn with me as I make my mistakes so you don't make those mistakes if you want to consider uh, purchasing a vacation rental. Phew, that was a very long podcast episode. Thank you for sticking around and listening in. I really just try to leave you with something that'll help you or inspire you or make you think about possibly investing in a vacation rental property. Of course, it comes with its challenges and money. Lots of money has to be thrown out at the beginning, but in the end, it's a great long-term investment and also could be a great investment for the short term as well. It will bring in income um, and eventually you will start getting all that money back that you invested in redoing and refurnishing a property. Um, Like I said, you can reach out to me, ask me any questions about this process. I want to put it out there. I'm no expert. I'm brand new to this. So I'll be making a lot of mistakes. So at least learn from my mistakes so you don't make them. You can reach me at branding you real estate on Instagram. That's branding you underscore real estate. Again, please reach out to me. Don't feel like you can't reach out to me to ask me any questions there. I love it. I live for it. This is what excites me here at the Branding You Real Estate corner of the internet is hearing from you and it helps me, again, just come up with more content um, and improve my craft as well. So reach out to me there. Thank you so much for being here, for listening in. And if you could, I have a huge favor. Would you leave me a review or rate me um, here on the podcast? If you rate me, supposedly, this is what I hear, it helps other people find me as well. If you've enjoyed this podcast or any, I would love for you to also share a screenshot on Instagram or Facebook and tag me so your fellow real estate friends in the industry can find me as well. Thanks again for being here and happy branding.